You've heard me talk about Morning Kick, used by former karate champion Chuck Norris. It's a daily drink from Roundhouse Provisions that combines ultra-potent greens like spirulina and kale with probiotics, prebiotics, collagen, and even ashwagandha. Just mix with water, stir, and enjoy. Unlike other green drinks out there, this one tastes similar to strawberry lemonade, and I enjoy it. I know I don't eat as many vegetables as I should, but Morning Kick has helped me make up for that, and I feel great. I have more energy and better digestion. It's an easy part of my morning routine. My wife started taking it as well. Go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris for up to 44% off your regular priced order. Plus, every purchase is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee. So if you want to experience smoother digestion, a boost of energy, and just an overall healthier body, then go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris today. Welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and a wonderful Lord's Day. I know I did. I was able to go to Camp of the Woods, which some of you know about, because that was where we held our men's retreat last fall. And I went with my wife, and I was able to present on spiritual warfare for the Culinary Christian Fellowship, which is a uh, ministry I'm somewhat involved with. They are associated with my church, and it's to the Culinary Institute of America. And so it was a good time, and uh, hopefully that um, that made a difference in the lives of some of the students. But it was, if not, it made a difference in my life to look at Ephesians six, the armor of God, and the strategies that Satan has. And I think just being reminded of that definitely changes the way we live, knowing that there's a spiritual war going on, and we're not just neutral. We are enlisted, and when we became Christians, we were enlisted. And uh, So anyway, welcome to the podcast. This is a podcast uh, today for Christians who are concerned about the leftward drift of evangelicalism, and we've done a lot of episodes on this. We've talked about some of the organizations I'm going to talk about today, but I want to do some more talking about it because there are new organizations popping up all over the place, and there's one called Redeeming Babel that I specifically want to talk about, and this was... Uh, a breaking story, I guess, if you want to call it that, on Twitter mostly, on, I think, Friday and Saturday, and uh, and, and Facebook as well. People were posting about this. And, uh, of course, I was uh, involved with the ministry stuff and couldn't get to it, but I want to get to it now because I have some things to share with you about it. But before we get there, before we get there, there is a deadline. There is a window of opportunity closing. And uh, I just referenced, I said, our men's retreat last year, last fall, was at Camp of the Woods, and uh, in fact, the next men's retreat is going to be at Camp of the Woods. I already have the dates. I already have everything set. I just, after um, this week, I will probably, uh, maybe next week, give you more information on that, but this week, there's another men's thing. That's the men's game dinner, the men's game dinner, and this is, uh, for those who are in the area, uh, if you are in uh, New York or Connecticut or Pennsylvania or New Jersey, I don't know if you want to drive down from Vermont or New Hampshire, that gets a little far, but if you are in the area and uh, you are wanting to fellowship with other men and hear some really good teaching, Zach Garris, who we've had on the podcast a few times, author of Masculine Christianity, which I believe is one of the best books uh, I've ever read on the subject of biblical roles. I mean, he doesn't pull punches and it's it's the kind of thing that gets you blacklisted because he's just like, let's be biblical and he's not... Uh, calculating what people want to hear. He's just saying what the truth is. And um, it's a great book. It's a great uh, time I think we're going to have on March 24th, Friday, 6.30 p.m. at Grace Bible Church. You can sign up on Facebook. The link is in the info section. I believe that you don't even need an account on Facebook to sign up on Facebook. So um, I already have a number of people from the church who have signed up, uh, but either email me or sign up on Facebook and uh, we'll save you a seat. And I should say that it is culinary people. It's culinary students and a culinary chef who's going to be making the venison and the roast beef, and you're just going to want to come out for that. So 6.30 p.m. Friday, March 24th at Grace Bible Church. But by tomorrow evening is when I need to give, it's Tuesday, that's the 21st, that evening is when I'm giving the final count. So you're going to want to sign up fast. Okay, um, let's get into some of the stuff I want to get into today, and I've debated how to approach this. I think what I want to do is this. I want to tie it into something else. 
briefly. So some of you saw my video interview with, or listened uh, to the interview that I did with David Engelsma on Abraham Kuyper and Common Grace. And some of you disagreed. In fact, one person I know of, uh, I won't say who yet, but they've, they're going to release, I guess, a response on YouTube. And, uh, and they agree in principle, they just don't think Kuyper's the one responsible for some of the issues that David Engelsma talks about. But I want to I put that on the shelf for a moment whether it's Kuiper or not, because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter a lot. I mean, we don't want to hold Kuiper responsible for things he wasn't responsible for. So in that sense, it matters. And that's why I'm going to circle back to it at some point and show you some of the quotes I think that Engelsma is referring to that uh, make him think that, and this is the, this is the issue, that there are Christians today, people claiming to be reformed as well, who see their role not just as ambassadors for Christ who share the gospel of Jesus Christ with sinners, but who partner with the world in redeeming society. All right, that's the issue. Can you partner with the world in redeeming society? Is there any fellowship there, light with darkness? Now, the, the common grace is where you say, well, in, in, in the way they use it, I'm not saying providence here, I'm saying common grace in the way it's often justified by people who have that thinking is that, well, it's not really that dark. Darkness isn't that dark. You can partner with the world. I mean, look, we partner with people all the time. So what? why not have a partnership that redeems the world, that extends the atonement of Christ, that extends the grace of Christ? That's where the problem comes in. You can certainly be salt and light as a Christian in your political involvement, your social involvement. Can you not? Of course you can. You can be a salt and light in a bad system, right? Roman slaveholders could be salt and light in a system that was... Not very biblical. We'll put it that way. I think today's welfare workers can do the same thing. You can be salt and light. Now, the question is, is that activity and the activity that you partner with, let's say, in a, in a good social endeavor, so, so we're not talking about something like uh, something that's negative, but actually something that will take one of the most righteous things in the minds of conservative Christians, a pro-life cause. Can you partner with someone who's not a believer in trying to stop abortions? I think you should, perhaps. I mean, voting itself is a partnership, is it not? To some extent, there's co-belligerency there, at least. there's uh, Different people are making their voice heard, and that cumulative effect, hopefully, it used to, hopefully it still does, uh, results uh, in some places uh, with the election of those who reflect those interests. And if those interests are to protect the life of the unborn, then of course you have a, um, a, a good partnership to some extent. But it's not the, the nature of that partnership is not one in which you both are under the illusion, hopefully, that what you're doing is redeeming society or extending the atonement of Christ or saving society. What you, you may be saving in a temporal sense, in the sense that uh, there's earthly good that has been uh, produced here in, because God has written his law on the conscience of men and men know right and wrong. And you could have people with bad motivations that were affording right things. So for them, it's not a redemptive thing. There's no redemption actually going on at all. It's going to be used to condemn them, <laughs> actually, on the day of judgment, because their motives weren't right, and they weren't doing it for God's glory, and even their righteous deeds are filthy rags. This is just biblical theology. I'm not telling you anything the Bible doesn't teach, okay? Um, I think the, the issue comes in when people start trying to partner with the world in ways that are, uh, in their minds and, and the way they present it, uniquely, or not uniquely, but that are fundamentally Christian. Christian. We're forwarding Christian ethics here for the purpose of redemption, just like we would individual redemption of people who uh, need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. We're now extending that to structures and systems, and broadly speaking, and that that action is now part of either whatever phrase they use, common grace, uh, extending the atonement. Uh, that's an older way to, to view it, but um, engaging culture for the purpose of uh, redeeming now, redeeming Babel, right? So this is one of the organizations I'm going to talk about is redeeming Babel. So so this is the thing that, that I see happening out there, and it's it's primarily it's left-leaning, politically-driven 
evangelicals, quote unquote, who are driving this kind of logic. So you need to know the logic that's being presented. And, and this is the logic that's being used. Primarily, there's other logic being used, but that's, this is the logic primarily being used to soft pedal things to evangelicals, to try to get evangelicals to uh, soften on homosexuality and to broaden the tent when it comes to pro-life. So even things that aren't technically murder are now cataloged as pro-life. Quality of life issues, the death penalty. Uh, it's, the attempt here is to try to get evangelicals to accept illegal migration as a pro-life issue and uh, amnesty and these kinds of things. We've talked about this many times. So this is the foundation I want to lay, the understanding I want to lay. And now we'll get into the specifics. Where is this happening, John? Well, it's happening in a lot of places. That's what Enemies Within the Church was about. That's what I've written about in some of my books. But um, there are new places popping up. And it's interesting to me the almost unlimited amount of resources, it seems, that the left has, even in evangelical circles. And I know because I am on the other side trying to scrape together funds and resources. And I'm not a victim in any of this. I'm just saying it's very challenging to get the funds and resources to do anything positive. You rely on volunteer work. It's very difficult. In fact, right now, uh, even today, I've been talking about, um, we're, we're almost there with this TGC alternative. But you know, the guy who's designing the website is volunteer. Um, the person who's uh, going to form the 501c3 and, uh, and, and help administer the website is doing this on a faith that there's going to be donations that'll come in that'll help offset the time that he's putting into it. And, and I'm not frustrated, and it, hopefully no one takes my tone that way. I'm not frustrated with, with any of you in this audience. Many of you give, and, I, and, and your first responsibility is your local church, right? And then maybe that's part of the dynamic here, that Christians technically should be giving to their local church, and that's what they do. And, and maybe, and I'm not, I don't want to question people's motives, I guess, here, but maybe there's, uh, there's either left-leaning interests from the, the secular left that are seeing an opportunity here, and they're pouring resources in, or you have people who are left-leaning in evangelical circles who see this as a way to uh, manage their tithe well, and maybe in addition to or um, in replacement of their local church, or it could just be that there's more of a commitment. That is possible. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of options out there, but whatever the options are, the situation is that there is a lot of resources going to pushing the needle left with evangelicals. Solid voting block for the Republican Party in years past, uh, and it's a problem, especially since Donald Trump. People who don't like Donald Trump don't want evangelicals doing this. And how do you change their voting patterns is the question. I think that's there's a political politically driven um, motivation. How do you do it? Well, let's talk about that a little bit today. And I'm going to give you a little bit of review. I'm not going extensively through every organization that does this because I couldn't possibly give you every organization that does this. But let me give you a few. Let's start here with an organization that I've talked about that I actually I've never talked about, Neighborly Faith. Organization, uh, it says you can be gospel-centered and a terrific neighbor. Which, I mean, who doesn't, I mean, is, is any Christian in disagreement, I guess? Gospel-centered, we won't talk about that. But uh, this is neighborly faith. And they say research and events introducing Christians to neighbors of every faith, right? So seeing people, and specifically Muslims on this website, in a way that uh, is, is neighborly, treating them like a neighbor, right? And, and I don't think anyone disagrees with that on the surface. That's why these things are so, I think, uh, tempting, because uh, it sounds so good, it sounds so positive, it sounds not mean, and we don't want to be mean. And then when you look at their resources, though, uh, it's stuff like, it, it, there's a lot of political stuff here. Can we resist our tribes? And there's a donkey and an elephant. Uh, evangelical politics. Uh, there, there's a number of things here. And, and you can read these resources. I haven't read all of them, but here's one thing I did look at today. Uh, New neighborly faith data, who is influencing young evangelicals on politics? And, and you look it up, you go to the, uh, uh, the study, and it, go, it takes you through this whole thing. And you go to the end, and you can even see some of the assumptions here. For instance, in Demographic Insights, it tells you, a higher proportion of non-straight evangelicals say they are very or extremely happy with the direction of the Republican Party than straight evangelicals. So why even, what's that category mean, right? You can see assumptions already there. Non-straight evangelicals? Why not the evangelicals who have a lying tendency? We, can you study that? Can you, right? So this is already a compromise to frame it this way. 
But you get to their major takeaways. Let me read for you the first one. Many organizations with an eye for improving society recognize the importance of teaming up with evangelicals. Okay, so there's two groups here. There's organizations who want to improve society, and then there's evangelicals. They're not the same group. They're two distinct groups. And those organizations um, see the importance of teaming up with evangelicals, even if they are not sure how. Our study confirms that young evangelicals can make valuable partners. So they're saying, we don't know how to do this. And then in comes neighborly faith. They say, well, our study says that young evangelicals can make valuable partners in achieving social goods and civic aims. They are more enthusiastic about civic activities than their peers, making them valuable to organizations working at America's grassroots levels. This is about activism, guys. This is about activism. This is what's going on in a lot of the seminaries. You're not getting pastors as much coming out. You're getting community organizers. You're getting activists. Now, I think years ago, there was the danger of you're getting therapists and psychologists coming out of seminary instead of pastors. Now, it's not that as much. It's activists. You're getting politically-minded people that are using the church as an engine for political change. And these organizations, uh, you, you almost hear them begging between the lines here for these organizations, these secular organizations that want to improve society, to take a second look at evangelicals, to see, look, we're not the bad meanies that you hear about. We're not terrible people. We, we're not bigots. We're not racist. We're not homophobic. We're not sexist. We're not misogynistic. We're not any of the things that you hear about us. No, the, the young ones especially, you know, those, those are the old ones. The young ones, though, our research says you can partner with them. For what? For what's the common goal here to partner with? Uh, and somehow this fits into being neighborly. This being, and somehow this fits into our faith. Some, do you see the connection? Do you see the funnel that you fall into when you go to these websites? Or not websites, but you partner with these organizations. And this one happens to be active on a number of campuses. You, you start with this veneer of it's Christian, it's Jesus, it's faith. And sooner or later, you're being funneled into activism, politics. Um, and, 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 the, and the thing is, you know, John can't, can't, shouldn't conservatives be involved in politics? The thing is, you should be involved in applying biblical principles to politics. There's no doubt about that. That's just being a good citizen, and it's part of being a Christian in this world. It's part of uh, exercising the civic responsibility, and it's a unique one that we have in a republic that God has given us. But um, I, I don't think the religious right or the moral majority or any of these organizations were being... Uh, they weren't hiding their message. They weren't, it, it was on the front, they were on their sleeve what they were doing, right? Uh, this is about politics. Make no mistake about it. This is about politics. And it's Christians mobilizing to support their views. It didn't start off with this veneer of, it's just being about being a neighbor. It's not really, this isn't about politics. In fact, politics, politics, uh, partisanship, not good. That, that stuff, not good. Uh, no, being a Christian good, and and then um, being a, a Christian means, and the further you get into it, you find out, generally, it's left-leaning stuff. It's social justice, activism. That's what being a Christian is. So there are different routes to get there, but you have somehow funding and resources coming to organizations like this, Neighborly Faith. Here's another organization. Actually, before I leave that, I'll just mention Kevin Singer, who... Uh, whose name is on that study, who seems to be the most public face of Neighborly Faith, has written for Sojourners. I don't know much about him. It says that he's a co-director of Neighborly Faith and PhD student in higher education in North Carolina State. But here he is, writing for Sojourners magazine, Jim Wallace's organization, for anyone who knows anything about Jim Wallace. He's a heretic. Uh, and uh, the worst kind of heretic on the left, I would say, as far as it, it really is left-leaning politics that drives his uh, heterodoxy. All right, so that's um, Neighborly Faith. Now, what other organizations? Let me just briefly mention this organization to you. This is uh, the American Solidarity Party, and they're going to be probably active more so um, in the next well, election cycle, which is starting. They have their candidates for president, and you have people like Karen Swallow Pryor from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You have people like Susanna Black from Mere Orthodoxy as part of this organization. And if you look at their, you know, who we are, uh, let's see if I can go to the front page here. It will, well, I was on the page and now I lost it. Oh, platform, here we go. If you go to their platform, Sanctity of Life, which apparently includes opposing the death penalty, uh, social justice, uh, efforts to address systemic and historic injustices, including longstanding racial injustices and disparities, etc. It doesn't say, it says uh, inequalities. There you go. 
Um, Community-oriented societies, uh, centrality to family, economic security, care for the environment. You have peace and international solidarity and, and all this stuff. There's all sorts of buzzwords and all this. But here's the thing. The assumption here is that we don't have good parties. And maybe we on a national level, we don't. <laughs> we really don't. But the, the, this is a grassroots, that's what they're saying, you know, activist, uh, new party. And I'm not besmirching anyone who would think we need a new party. But they're saying that this is the better option for specifically Christians. And I, I, I have my own reasons for bristling at this idea that we should even have a Christian political party in the sense that, in the sense that, I got to qualify this, that uh, it's, uh, it cannot be, um, oh man, I'm trying to even think how to phrase this. Uh, a, a party that is built for believers in Jesus Christ specifically, and others, uh, if they are involved in it, are are bystanders or they're they're second class. They're not really part of the the mission. I I think if you're gonna if this is earthly good that we're pursuing, ethical good, right from God, but if this is earthly good, then it needs to be something that is more in your community with with people who share similar goals. And these are going to be earthly goals. This is, we're going back to the whole debate of, uh, you know, a Nigerian woman or who's a Christian or your neighbor who's not a Christian. Who do you have more in common with, right? Well, in one sense, the Nigerian woman in eternity, but in another sense, I got a lot more in common with the person who speaks my language next door. And we have commonly shared interests. And we're going to ha- probably be able to govern a society better together, participate in life together because of all those earthly things that we have in common. And so I see politics is in that category. But um, a lot of these uh, organizations and, that I'm sharing with you, that's they start off with it on a different foot. They start off with, th- this is the Christian thing. Uh, the American Solidarity Party is based on the tradition of Christian democracy. So uh, we acknowledge the state should be pluralistic while upholding a vision for the common good of all and each individual informed by Christian tradition and acknowledging the primacy of religion in each person's life. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many things I want to say about this, but... Um, that's not the focus of this episode. I just want to let you know that there are efforts like this out there. And I don't see a lot of this from the right. You see, I have like the Constitution Party, which has been around for years, I suppose. But it's not uniquely like a Christian thing. And that's my point, is it's not that where you're getting these unique Christian targeting evangelical uh, messages that are pushing the needle left, uh, are, well, that are pushing the needle in, in a political direction are from the left. Here's another one, the AND campaign. You got Esau McCauley, who just, I think, got tenure, if I'm not mistaken, recently. He's a, he, I would say he's a heretic. We went over his book, Reading the Bible While Black, and there's definitely heresy in that as far as uh, liberation theology. Uh, Edward Copeland, we talked about him before. D.A. Horton, another Southeastern guy. Alan Noble, Lisa Fields, John O., Charlie Dates. Uh, you have uh, Justin Gibney is the guy who helped start this along with Michael Ware, but Michael Ware's not on the website anymore. Tim Keller was on the advisory panel uh, aboard uh, at one point. An campaign website said so. Uh, he's not there now, I guess. But uh, the and campaign, uh, it used to say on the front, it was I think it said Christianity and social justice. It definitely said and social justice. Now you don't see that. It talks about truth and love, redemptive justice, and values-based policies. Uh, uses and in these other ways. But the and campaign definitely pushing the needle way left. Michael Ware is a Democrat strategist, worked in the Obama administration. And he was a faith advisor. And Michael Ware is the one who kickstarted this thing. Uh, in fact, you, you'll start realizing these guys make a lot of, they make the rounds. Because Michael Ware has also been interviewed by the organization we're going to talk about now, Redeeming Babel. Redeeming Babel has been around for a few years, but they have a new project that got a lot of attention last week. And even in the name Redeeming Babel, you know, how do we redeem Babel? Is it the gospel or is it this political thing? Is it this social thing? Well, here's what it says. The problem, evangelicals, which constitute 22.5% of the American population, comprise a key group in the political landscape. Unfortunately, for many evangelicals, the role of forming their political identity has been seized by partisan forces, not by biblical truth. Uh Uh-oh. As a result, their politics have become deformed into hatred of political opponents, susceptibility to lies, and other practices that threaten the common good. So we're all under threat. Where look at the words being used here: seize, threat, violent words, extreme. Our church leaders seek uh, to counter church leaders. There you go. So pastors, right, seeking to counter this dangerous trend, need help. If pastors preach about politics from the pulpit, they risk blowback from the most vocal and extreme voices within their congregations, and this hits home for a lot of pastors after 2020. Right, many local leaders feel like they lack the resources to deal with the political complexities of the day. 
Political tensions have already fractured many churches, and 2024 is right around the corner with a new wave of pressure. Our answer. The, it, so before I get to our answer, let me just point out a few things here. Number one, uh, whoever's creating this must transcend partisan politics, right? Because partisan politics is the problem, and we've been seized, and it's not biblical. I mean, this is a big issue if that's true. We're not being biblical, and partisan politics, these secular forces have caused us to not be biblical. And so, um, and, and it doesn't really go into what ways. Uh, susceptibility to lie. We're believing lies somehow. We're threatening the common good. I mean, uh, that, that this is actually playing into the media's narrative. Christians are threatening the common good, but it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's uh, the fault of uh, these political forces. So don't blame Christians. Blame politicians. Blame politics for this, right? That's, that's what's going on here. Yeah, let's get Christians off the hook. I mean, you see the same thing with... Uh, that neighborly faith. It's like, it's not, it's not the young evangelicals. They're not doing it. They, they're activists. They want to push the needle left with you. They want to partner to make the world a better place with you, secular organizations. It's just those old ones. Just wait for them. They'll, they'll go. These young ones, partner with them. You see the same thing here. It's a, it, it, There's an awareness that pressure is on the church, and that awareness is driving these evangelical uh, strategists to try to make a way, to forge a path where they can still maintain some kind of respectability and usefulness to a world that no longer sees a useful place for the church. And the way they're doing it is all wrong. The way they're doing it is all wrong because the way they're doing it is to say that, hey, you have noble plans, world. You have great ideas and things that need to happen, and we can be your foot soldiers. We can help. We can help with that. Uh, and being biblical is somehow part of helping with that. And it's just, it, it, it's these other things that have gotten us off track and, and made us... Uh, made the church so compromised. So it's it's coming back to that pure faith. I mean, I wrote about this in Social Justice Goes to Church. It's the same play being used over and over and over. So here we go. What's the answer? Well, here's what they say. The after party does the heavy lifting to support local leaders by presenting national trusted evangelical voices. Okay, so trusted. So according to who? Francis Collins? Is he trusted? Is So David French is apparently. Russell Moore is. And Curtis Chang is. They're trusted. There's a lot of evangelicals who don't trust them, by the way. But that's just because, under this logic, they've been subverted by political forces, right? I know I have theological problems with them. <laughs> so that's my issue with David French and Russell Moore. When, when David French last year goes out to support the Equality Act, no, I have a theological problem with you, David French. No, I don't have a, a, a partisan issue with you that you're in the wrong political party and you're not on my team and I'm the red team and you're the blue team or something. No, my issue with you is the disdain you have for God's law. You don't think you have it, but you do. I mean, I'm getting personal here, but it's true. I'm just so angry, righteously so, that people like David French are out there promoting things like, uh, you know, transgender library hour is just part of the blessings of liberty. We need to, Christians stand down and let it happen. Really, David French? Really? Things that the Lord calls an abomination? All right, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it says... The after party does the heavy lifting to support the local leader. So the local pastors, hey, you, you don't have to do the homework anymore. It's like docent, <laughs> docent research. You don't have to write the sermon. You know? And then when people are mad, they can be mad at us, not you. By presenting national trusted evangelical voices, local leaders do not have to take all the fire by themselves. Wow. Wow. It's really tempting for a pastor who doesn't want the disgruntled members who heard the sermon and didn't like it. They only need to sponsor this curriculum into their small group communities and let us make the case we directly engage people through our video-based and highly interactive video format. The curriculum does the complex but necessary, absolutely necessary theological work of reframing Christian politi political identity from today's division. Part, uh, partis I mean, I'm botching this sentence. Let me start again. The curriculum does the complex but absolutely necessary theological work of reframing Christian political identity from today's divisive partisan options. Whereas the partisan identity defines political engagement in the what of ideologies, policies, parties, and politicians, the after party redefines Christian politics around a biblical emphasis on how of virtues like mercy, humility, and justice. In today's political environment, faithfulness to this biblical how of political engagement will shine as a radical alternative to both the right and left. So yeah, the right and left are both doing it wrong, and we got a radical, they're a popular term today, we got a radical alternative. So what have they done in the past? if you want to test to see what does this radical alternative look like? Well, Redeeming Babylon, before this after-party thing, founded and spearheaded Christians and the vaccine. 
the leading national effort to persuade vaccinated, uh, to, to persuade evangelicals to get the vac- uh, vaccine for COVID. Our efforts address the anxiety felt by millions stemming from the distrust in institutions and counter the toxic politicalization of public health solutions. So they're exempting themselves. They transcend. They are not uh, part of the group that's in is politicized. They've given themselves a, a pass. They are the ones now, the prophets on high, to, to share with us who are captivated by these political forces how and, and somehow uh, being very divisive in that how to, to be peaceful and to not be divisive and to, um, and, and in this case, to take the vaccine. So let's get a little more deeper into it. There's two um, videos. One, so, so this one, I actually listened to the whole entire thing. <laughs> to my, it's 37 minutes, but I was like, oh, let me listen to this. This is an interview uh, with Curtis Chang, who uh, represented the um, Redeeming Babel, and it was on this issue of the vaccine. And... Um, in this particular video, I'm just going to briefly summarize. Uh, he, he, you find out Curtis Chain is a pastor. He had his church at the time of this. This was, this was a year ago. What's the date? April 6, 2021. His church was still closed. He said, we've been closed for a year. His church was still closed. And he says um, that uh, the pathway to getting open again is the vaccine, to getting back to church. And that we should trust doctors, and there's a web of trust that we've trusted in for our whole lives. We should continue to trust doctors who promote the vaccine. And if we don't, here's the problem: we're not leaving God. We're not believing God's channels uh, if we're not listening to. And he specifically says Francis Collins. So we're in danger of not believing God, really, not hearing God. Actually, is what he says. We're not in danger of not hearing God if we're not listening to what Francis Collins has to say, because God's provided Francis Collins. Now, we've talked about Francis Collins. Oh, man, the ethical issues with Francis Collins, uh, the corruption issues with Francis Collins. But here we go. Trust Francis Collins. He's an evangelical. Now, this is another video uh, that uh, was put out there. This is uh, Curtis Chang. And this is the video that I want to play you uh, about a five-minute clip from, if I may. And then we're going to talk about it. My name is Curtis Chang, and welcome to Redeeming Babel, where our mission is to provide biblical thinking in a confusing world. Pro-lifers fear that the vaccine is connected to abortion. And indeed, there is a distant connection. But the consensus of leading Christian bioethicists is that this distant connection should not discourage pro-life Christians from taking the vaccine. Pro-lifers, like me, in fact, have strong reasons to be pro-vaccine. Most goods that we Californians import today from the rest of the country come to us on railroad lines that were originally laid down in the building of the first transcontinental railroad. That origin story is filled with racist treatment of the first Chinese Americans, my ancestors. They were discriminated against horribly given the most dangerous jobs, and were periodically even lynched by mobs, like in the horrible Rock Spring Massacre. Today's transportation lines into California are like the fetal cell lines that develop the COVID vaccine. They are not evil in their current state and usage, but they do run on tracks that follow lines first laid down by previous institutional sin. And none of us can avoid being impacted by those lines. The Vatican, which has studied this issue extensively, has encouraged Catholics to take the vaccine. The president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary has similarly encouraged Southern Baptists. Other top conservative bioethicists, like those associated with pro-life foundations such as the Heritage Foundation, have joined in this encouragement. I agree with this chorus of thinkers. I believe that every pro-life Christian should take the COVID vaccine. Indeed, I propose that the COVID vaccine can serve as an image of God's redemption. Redemption is God's ultimate answer to the problem of original sin. Redemption is taking something that originated in a wrongful state and reworking that thing into something good. The Bible tells us that in his death and resurrection, Jesus redeemed human sin, the very human line. 
1 Corinthians 15, 22 puts it this way, for as all die in Adam, so also all shall be made alive in Christ. In other words, Adam's original sin had an impact on us all. We are descendants of his spiritual line and we are impacted by his original sin. But the sinful origin is not the final verdict. The spiritual line of Adam has been reworked by Jesus so that what began as a story of sin and death has been reworked into a story of forgiveness and life. That is what it means to be made alive in Christ. That is redemption. Now, this idea that what began in death could be reworked into life, well, it's hard for the human mind to grasp. This is why we need images of redemption in the world. We need examples that can serve as metaphors of what Jesus accomplished that show us Jesus' redemption, well, it's kind of like that. I propose that the COVID vaccine is an image of redemption. Yes, the vaccine may have a distant origin story in abortion, but that past has been reworked and redeemed into something that saves life. We can point to the vaccine and say, Jesus' redemption is kind of like that. And indeed, the production of a vaccine in less than a year, it's really a miracle. Something like this has never happened this quickly. I personally believe God's redemptive power was present in the process. So my invitation to pro-life Christians who may distrust the COVID vaccine currently is this. Please remember that the Christian story is the story of redemption. Every one of us has an origin story in sin. None of us can avoid this. Yet each of us has had our story reworked by Jesus into new life. That's what it ultimately means to be pro-life. To be pro-life is to be pro-redemption. And to be pro-redemption, in my view, means being pro-vaccine. The vaccine is ultimately a redemption story. Let's be part of that story. That was so cringy. So it's hard to know even where to start with that. Uh, we had to think through this when the vaccine was being debated. This abortion connection, that there were cell lines used in the development of the vaccine in some cases, or testing of the vaccine, that came from an abortion in the 70s. What do you do with that? Some said, well, what you just heard, that this is, uh, they didn't maybe go as far to say redemption, but they... Uh, there were some weird things, though. Wasn't it Duke Kwan who said the vaccine was, waiting for the vaccine was an example of the already and the not yet? There was some weird stuff people were saying. But um, I don't know that anything was quite as weird as what, what we just heard. Uh, people were using the logic that something bad happened and now something good is coming from it, though, or something that we can participate in. And many of you, even in this audience, I think, to some extent, agree with that. I did not. I was one of the ones who was uh, trying to think through this to the best of my ability, and I saw that most of the evangelical bigwigs were saying the same thing, which was what you just heard. Uh, not not the uh, redemption connection, but at least the um, using something that was intended for evil for good. And the, there's a difference in my mind, and this is where I came down on it, between something like Joseph, where he said, you know, being sold into slavery, God used it for good, and in the sovereign plans of God, something can be used for good, and then benefiting from the evil thing directly. That's where I have an issue, if, and I tried to make it uh, a little closer to home by saying, what if it was your friend or someone you knew, and they they died, and then it's like, let's harvest their organs, or let's, uh, let's use their cell lines, in this case, uh, without their permission, and they've been murdered, and that's the result is uh, that people are taking things from them, biological material that doesn't really belong to them, and then using it for good purposes. You say, well, we can cure cancer, let's say, with, with this. Would you be in support of it? And I think that makes it a little more difficult for us to think through, and re we realize there's actually a layer here of um, responsibility that we would probably attribute to those who are benefiting from or using that material that they should not have access to. And so the point remains that we, we shouldn't be using these cell lines. We should get something better. Let's get something else. 
if we're going to be testing so forth. And I know this is, uh, for those in the medical community, that this is so um, common from what I've heard, what I understand, that uh, you know I've probably, without even knowing it, have participated. And the thing is, we get our feet dirty in this world as Christians without knowing it. That's one of the reasons I confess even things, Lord, I confess that I confess the things I'm not even aware of that I participated in. Um, so I don't, I don't think you should get hung up about those things, and I don't think you should spend all your time researching where are all these fetal lines, unless you want to, used in various products necessarily. But, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm even trying to be careful to, to not say that you're necessarily in sin. If you're convicted, you are. But I do want to at least say there is a moral component to this that is being ignored, I think. And, and social justice advocates would never, would never apply this to other things, like the reparations they want from slavery. I mean, that was hundreds of years ago. I guess there's an expiration date. We shouldn't have it, you know, and I have my own issues with my own arguments against uh, the reparations thing, but, but I'm just bringing it up to point out that there's an exception made in their minds for some reason for the vaccine. You know, Curtis Chain is definitely on the social justice bandwagon, and you see it in his interviews. You see it, though, I, I just one representative tweet here from 2022. The GOP, GOP so Republicans, have fed, justified, and exploited Christians' defensiveness in service to an aggressive reactionary politics, deadly mask-slash-vaccine resistance, discrediting fair elections, grooming accusations, silencing the history of racism, and patently false beliefs about conspiracies. There you go. There's Curtis Chang. There, it tells you where he's coming from politically here. My main concern is when we start using cell lines like this, I think it incentivizes or it cheapens, really that's the better way to put it, it cheapens the respect for life that we have. And, and that's more my concern. It's a broad, overall, general thing. But to, to compare it to uh, the, the train tracks coming into the rail lines that come into California, that using those is, you know, we can use those without being complicit in whatever racism was present when they were being constructed. It, to, to, to take that as a parallel to, and we can use continue to use the cell lines from a murder, um, I think is, is two different things. And that, that's my reason for thinking that. But put that on the shelf, because that's minor compared to the other point that was made here. And this is a bigger point, I think, to explore. That this is somehow an example of what Jesus does. This is redemption of some kind. Taking a murder and then using that murder for a good purpose. That's what Jesus does. I mean, it's one thing to use parables to explain heavenly realities using earthly language. It's another thing to draw a moral equivalency between Jesus sacrificially giving his life to atone for the sins of his people and a murder that happened that now scientists are using cell lines from in the past. I don't know what else to say about the ridiculous point he made about redemption. Um, but when it comes to the vaccine, we have um, information that casts a lot of doubt on the narrative that you just heard from Curtis Chang. And it doesn't seem like he would say much different now. I mean, that tweet that you just saw was from uh, 20, was it 2022. Yeah. It was uh, from September 1st, 2022. So, um, but we, we now know that there are a number of concerns and problems. Here's one of them. This is a, a study. The risk of COVID-19 also varied by the number of COVID-19 vaccine doses previously received. The, num uh, the higher the number of vaccines previously received, the higher the risk of contracting COVID. So the more boosters you get, the more likely you are going to get covid Right? Is that, shouldn't it be the opposite of that? This is um, Effectiveness of the Coronavirus Disease 2019, and you can find this on medrxiv.org. Uh, and uh, you have Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, BMJ, Yale. This is a peer-reviewed research going on right here. Uh, you have uh, CDC and FDA identify preliminary COVID-19 vaccine safety signals for persons age 65 years and older. This is fairly recently, January of this year. And uh, they still recommend taking the vaccine, but say that we, we have to investigate uh, specifically strokes 
that, that have been reported as a result of COVID-19 vaccine. You have here Professor uh, uh, Baluk, who uh, is, he has credentials, uh, director of UGI at UCL, uh, which is, uh, he's a, an epidemiologist, but that is the uh, Genetics Institute, uh, so it's research. And this is what he says, update on the 2020 uh, Cochrane, I think that's how you pronounce it, review on the effect of physical interventions of influenza SARS-CoV-2 transmission. The results do not suggest medical surgical mass reduced viral spread. And he says uh, Cochrane reviews are the gold standard in evidence-based medicine. So you have a study that came out that said, look, the mass didn't actually stop, inhibit the spread. Uh, this is all coming out now. And I mean, many, there were many, and I was one of them, who was trying to platform people who were saying these kinds of things, who were saying the same kinds of things years ago. But now a lot of this stuff is being vindicated. Uh, the Defender, which is um, a uh, childrenshealthdefense.org, The Defender, so it gets a news outlet. Finally, The Lancet acknowledges natural immunity superior to mRNA COVID vaccines. The Lancet being another peer-reviewed journal, uh, and they've acknowledged now that natural immunity is, is better. So if you have natural immunity, if you had COVID, you already have a better defense than the vaccine would give you. So, so this is all, and, and there's much more, but this is all happening in real time out there. And this would be a good opportunity for Curtis Chain to come along and say, we were wrong about that on multiple levels. And boy, was I wrong to compare the COVID uh, vaccine to the redemption work that Christ does uh, and to, in the death that he gave to an abortion that took place. This would be a really good opportunity. Now, is he going to do it? I don't think so. I doubt it. We, I rarely see that in these circles when, they're, uh, when things are called out. And this has already happened. It's not me. This, is, this happened, I think, Friday, Saturday. There was a lot of attention drawn to this. So I, I'm just bringing this to everyone's attention so you're aware of the ways in which and the logic being used to try to influence your vote. And the challenge that I have for you all out there who, in the listener audience, because what can you practically do about this? The challenge I have is not just to talk to your friends and not just to, which, which is good, I think you should, and not just to be salt and light in, in your churches and your communities, which I think you ought to do and you need to do. Uh, those, those are just givens, right? But specifically, the challenge I have for you is examine your life and and take into account where specifically you can be used of God to prevent the church from being compromised. And it doesn't have to be in the exact ways that I'm focusing on compromise here. But think to yourself, where is the devil attacking and where can you get involved to prevent those attacks from being, uh, to, from taking hold, from being effective? How can you, and if what I'm saying rings true with you, how can you use the resources you have to promote organizations that are truly going to be biblical, that are truly going to uh, promote Christian ethics in the political realm, that aren't going to um, use salvation redemption language for things that aren't salvation and redemption, right? Uh, that are going to value truth above the commitment to authority, earthly authority and party politics, because that's actually what's going on here. They get the very people who tell you that you're the one influenced by party politics are projecting. They're influenced by party politics. They're obsessed with it. They think about it all the time. And, uh, and they, I mean, in no uncertain terms, uh, you, the GOP was terrible according to Chang, right? All the reasons the GOP is terrible. Uh, does that sound like someone who's influenced by party politics at all? Yeah, it kind of does. And, they form their own guild or party, or it's, maybe it doesn't have to be an official party. The American Solidarity Party is an official party. Uh, and make that the gold standard, that that's what Christians need to be involved with. And um, I, I personally think that wisdom dictates in most places you can still have a seat at the table as a Christian in the Republican Party. Maybe not in all places. And maybe in those places you do need to think about how do you organize, how do you form something different. But in most places, especially at the local level, there's even some places at the local level in the South where you can be a Democrat. <laughs> there's very few, but there are a few. 
and you can still you know reject their party platform and uh, and try to be. Uh, a, but the parties aren't the issue here. The issue is uh, the the platform that you're advocating. And in the cases that I've presented to you today, you have people that are advocating social justice platforms. That's what's going on, and they're pretty open about what they're doing. They want to get into your church. They don't want politics kept outside. They want it inside your church, and they want to be the ones that are driving the narrative. Do you want David French and Russell Moore to be doing that? So what can you do? Maybe look at your resources. What organizations are doing good work in this field? I know uh, I will have an opportunity very soon for you to uh, help out with, a, a hopefully, a, a alternative to the Gospel Coalition. We're looking at, we're still, this is one of the things that's taking forever, but trying to find a good name for it. And uh, I thought I found one, and then uh, yesterday I was sitting down with my wife and a friend, and they're like, you can't use that name. It's so antiquated, no one's going to want to come. So I'm, I'm back to the drawing board. But, but it's, it's, it's happening. It's coming along. Um, maybe that's an opportunity you can take and it, the money's not going to go to me. It's going to go to the project. I I'm, th- this is those who are patrons who, uh, who, who finance what I'm doing here on the podcast. I mean, that's, this is the kind of thing that I'm doing behind the scenes. I'm putting in work to try to th- see where can we invest resources to combat some of this stuff. Cause we, we can't just have, um, we, we need what, what I'm doing now, but we can't just have negative critiques. We need to build positive foundations and and that includes organizations so uh, think about it join with me or join with someone else where you can to be part of that effort to do something constructive and to help christians to disciple really to disciple christians into understanding ethics well and that includes public theology all right well um i've gone over time that's uh over the time i wanted that's all i have to say please if you are in the area sign up for the masculine christianity men's dinner this particular Friday at Grace Bible Church in Waffengers. I will see some of you then. God bless. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.